College Student Success Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping college students with mental health issues set and achieve goals for themselves to get them where they want to be. I am your host, Derek Malinzak, and this is episode 41 of the podcast. And the numbers seem to have aligned because I started with episode 30. So sort of I've envisioned the numbers as counting the weeks of the classes. So if we subtract 41 from 30, we are at week... 11. Week 11, folks. Home stretch. Getting there, inching there ever so closer. How are you doing? And how are you doing on your goal this uh, fine day? It's Tuesday here. It's a bit windy and blustery in the Northeast. Let's get down to business, shall we? So this week, my quick tip is something I have been killing it with lately. Um, I call it the one note card tip. I think Tim Ferriss uses it. Uh, I had heard about it prior to him actually from actually one of my participants. I got to give credit to. Uh, can't say his name, but he's out there. He knows who he is. Uh, but it, the one note card trick is basically I have a, a giant to-do list and I'm always kind of adding to it and crossing things off and, you know, that feels good. <sighs> anyway, um, one note card is uh, kind of an idea that I picked up where I isolate the top three to five things that I got to do, absolutely have to do uh, that particular day. So typically I'll do it first thing in the morning. Um, my routine involves, you know, getting my son ready for school in the morning and I bring him to school. I leave around 10 to 8, I mean 10 to 9, get him there from school at 9 o'clock. So I have, you know, he's eating breakfast and I have a little bit of downtime, not enough to really do anything that requires a lot of concentration. But typically what I do while he's kind of eating breakfast and and getting ready himself is I look at my calendar and I look at my to-do list and I find a piece of uh, notes, scratch paper, and I write down, you know, okay, this is, I have to get done this today. I have to get this done today. Um, I have this appointment. Sometimes I'll note the appointment, you know, the the time, the outstanding time that I like kind of have to register with my memory like don't forget like don't get so caught up with all these things on your list that you forget you know this phone call at 11 o'clock you know for instance that you have to make especially if that's like the only thing on the agenda besides you know concentrating on these three to five things so this has helped me a great deal because in a number of ways first off it's easier to prioritize from three to five items like what to do first and usually it's the thing I hate is what I choose to do first because everything's easier after that, right? Um, the other reason is I sort of, well, I pick things that are out of necessity, but I, I sort of structure it in that it's a little bit more than I think I could get done. So, you know, if it's like 3 o'clock, 3.30, and I'm like, oh, I wish I was just finished right now. And it could be like, you know, searching the internet, you know, getting ready for opening day because baseball opening day is next week. And woohoo, that's exciting to me. I know it's probably not to a lot of you. But um, I really, you know, kind of push myself a little bit further than I think I can go just to be like, oh, let me just get this one last thing done. And then that's one last thing you have to get done tomorrow, right? So one other tip I have with the doing this is know specifically what you mean when you write down. So if it's like read textbook today, um, are you planning to read the entire thing? Probably not. So just kind of like be a little more specific, you know, if it's a chapter or 10 pages of the textbook or read for a half an hour, you know, however you want to break it down and structure it is, is fine with me. Um, just, you know, kind of have a better idea than just read textbook when you, uh, when you jot this down on your note card. So let's get into 
the question of the day now. It's not a really a question. I think I'm just going to say uh, thought of the day, or I'm going to change this up somehow because it's really, I've been taking less questions and just talking about, I guess, trends or topics that I see on Reddit, on the college subreddit there. Uh, so this one, a little bit controversial, and uh, let me explain to you what it is. Uh, so it's, uh, I found a infographic on Reddit about, sorry, stalling with this amazing podcasting right now as I pull up the thread. Okay, so the thread was entitled, Political Correctness is Dominating College Campuses. This is a topic I think many of you have heard about in the news lately. And so I... When you click on it, uh, an infographic pops up, and it talks about political correctness on campus. Political correctness is dominating college campuses across the country. And then it has a stupid infographic about political correctness through the decades. In the 80s, uh, political correctness emerges, but it's like a graph with no X or Y axis actually defined. Um, Pretty poor. Um, Some interesting... um, pictorials and, uh, you know, flow charts, uh, a, a bunch of PC terms and un-PC terms that they, you know, are, are big, you know, talk about again in today's media. And then uh, some adverse health effects uh, statistics that were of particular interest to me. And I'll get back to that. Let me just finish describing the infographic. Um, but the, the, the gist of it is that college campuses these days are becoming so sort of censored that, you know, everybody's afraid to say anything. And um, in in turn, emotionally challenging speech is restricted. Um, Intelligent speech, you know, thoughtful debates are, you know, not no longer allowed. And it, it sort of increases like a polarization without actually thinking through and discussing the topics. And it's become, you know, very confusing, the lexicon, you know, of what's okay to say these days and what isn't. And this is having an effect on uh, mental health, especially. And that's the particular thing I'm going to talk about today. So I read this and I, you know, from what I see online, and that would be, you know, places like Facebook and Twitter and you know, I don't actually watch a lot of news. I get a lot of news secondhand. I, I choose that purposely because I think a lot of the news is just directed at um, big corporations and the government wanting to, you know, implant trends and ideas in your head. So if something bubbles to the top and is really important in the news, I find out about it because other people talk about it with me or I read about it on um, on Facebook, and I'm, I, you know, I follow a few news sources. It really doesn't matter which ones. I mean, they're all sort of owned by the same, you know, what is it, seven media companies anyway. Uh, so it's fine just to pick one. So that you know, the real highlight news stories come up. But uh, you know, I hear a lot about political correctness, or you know, this idea that students, uh, you know, have this idea that they want to be safe from any kind of uh, offensive language and are taking active steps to protest in in favor of this, right? Uh, so I the, the health effects were the things that sort of raised the red flag with me because uh, it actually had some statistics on mental health. And I read them, and so let me just read them. It says 95% is uh, the, 
the number uh, that report a growing concern over students with significant psychological problems. And this is the Office of Counseling Directors. Counseling, college counseling directors. 70% report student population with significant psychological problems has increased in the past year. 49% reported overwhelming anxiety in 2009. 54% report overwhelming anxiety in 2014. Okay, so that's been a rise of 5% in five years. All of these numbers, I looked at this and I thought, you know, these actually look pretty... Uh, pretty legit to me. Um, and then I started to read the comments. And uh, the way I have read it set up, it filters to kind of the most upvoted comments uh, first. So the, the first comment I read was by Seb underscore Fisher. And he wrote, he was right at the top. He's since been bumped down to one, but he's right below it and said, I respectfully disagree with your infographic on grounds of insufficient evidence to support claims, needlessly vague, underlying political bias. And he got like super upvoted. And I was like, wow, okay. Um, so this was interesting to me because I've heard a lot about this and I wanted to know sort of what are the people that are actually on the college campus saying? So I asked him, I replied and asked him what he did not agree with. I was, I said, exactly, this is what I said. What exactly do you not agree with? You don't think political correctness and a movement to censor free speech is on the rise on college campuses. Those are two questions. And so his reply was actually, was really great. And I want to read it. He said, so far from my experience at college, I've been exposed to views from teachers promoting liberal and conservative agendas and both atheist and religious views. My experience is that there isn't much censorship on college campus, nor on the internet either. The only PC movement I really see is anecdotally on social media, which is usually young people who haven't yet been exposed to alternate worldviews and are easily offended. Manners and politeness isn't a movement and we don't need an anti-etiquette movement. We need, if you want to make fun of different races, sexual preferences, and religious, hey, it's free country, but don't argue that you're part of some sort of righteous political movement and that people who are culturally sensitive somehow have lower intelligence. So I was really impressed by that, and I said, you know, that I thanked him and said, as someone that does research on mental illness on college campuses, I said there's quite a bit of evidence to support the notion that more people are reporting mental health difficulties and I, you know, talked about some of the research that I know of that really sort of confirms, you know, what it was said in that infographic under the mental health statistics. And somebody said, it's bullshit correlation, and I agreed with them. And that's really kind of the point, right, is we can infer that just because mental health statistics are rising on college campuses, that it's because of all this, you know, PC, you know, going a little too far PC bullshit, you know, that you hear about on social media and in the news today. Um, to give an example, uh, the story about, uh, I think it was Emory, and uh, somebody wrote in chalk on the steps, you know, Trump 2016, and the students were offended and protested that the school did not act uh, severely enough in this uh, grave injustice. Uh, so that's an example of, you know, I know that's one that's been highlighted in the news. Another one that I've seen is uh, one of the major, uh, major, I think it was an Ivy League, I don't, I'll 
put the article in the news to confirm it, but it may have been Yale. Um, but it was a major school, and they went around with this quote-unquote survey and basically got people to agree to repeal the First Amendment. And so these are the stories that sort of filter out to me, you know, based on, I guess, the select uh, news people that I might follow. And I sort of, I guess, got a little trapped up in that because when I think back and when I think uh, what this person replied, you know, I don't really see this on the Rutgers campus myself. Um, I'm not seeing these um, protests. What I see actually went and looked uh, and tried to find some things off that Rutgers was doing related to, you know, politically uh, charged, politically uh, correct terminology. And they had something that they uh, rolled out last year. Uh, no, I'm sorry, two years ago. The end of 2014 uh, was through the Center for Social Justice Education and LGBT Communities. And it was a Language Matters campaign aiming to build a more inclusive community. Language Matters is about making people at Rutgers aware that phrases like, that's so ghetto, or that's retarded, or that's so gay, may seem harmless, but are actually really hurtful. And so when I read this, I'm like, yeah, I completely agree with this. And if this is what the news media is saying about being overtly politi politically correct these days, then I guess that I'm on board with, uh, you know, the college students. Um, this shit does matter. And I've spoken out about person first language um, in all of my classes that I teach. It's a big theme in our department that you don't refer to somebody with a mental illness as, you know, a schizophrenic, for example. And I've talked about it on the show and every guest I have on, uh, we talk about, I, I kind of preface the interview with saying, you know, if, especially if it's somebody that's not involved in, you know, psychiatric rehabilitation, because anyone that is knows this already. But if it's somebody that's not and sort of marginally, um, you know, it, connected with people that may have disabilities, I kind of do the once over. I say, this is how you refer to people just because I don't want somebody slipping up and I don't want somebody offending my audience. So I guess I'm all about, uh, language matters campaign at Rutgers. So I'm really proud of Rutgers for doing that. Um, and some of the stories I think relate to what this person said. I'm going to go back to Seb Fisher's comment and one line in particular, the only PC movement I really see is anecdotally on social media, right? This is what I was talking about. And I thought it was sort of a little bit larger than these students that, uh, commented on this thread would have me believe. Um, what, usually, what it usually is is young people who haven't yet been exposed to alternate worldviews and are easily offended. And that, to me, is, is the key point there. You know, this easily offended group of individuals. And I don't really know how to characterize them. You know, I'm a, I'm a real diehard when it comes to free speech. You know? Um, you know, I find the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan, to be horribly offensive terribly offensive, but I support their right to assemble and, you know, lawfully conduct business, right? And I'm not in favor of, you know, burning crosses on black people's properties or anything like that. But, you know, if they have views and they're exchanging views and it's not anything, you know, illegal or terroristic, then, you know, it's unfortunate that people have these views, in my opinion, but 
that's that's what it is. It's an opinion, and just because I'm offended by them does not mean that to me they have they don't have the right to you know free speech. People confuse I think free speech these days with freedom not to be offended, and that is the problem that I. I, I kind of am seeing these days and, and it being that's where the, I see that it's being taken too far. And I guess that's sort of some of the element of truth to the infographic. Um, I hesitate to use the term millennials anymore because it's just to me such a stigmatizing term. I was talking about it with my wife the other day and we had a conversation about something she had seen in the news where they now consider millennial population to be anyone born you know, starting in 1980, she freaked out. was like, "Ah, ah, ah." you know, I was born in 1980. I'm not a millennial. And it was like, I, you know, I kind of laughed because I think it is, you know, if we are considering the population that the media would have us believe are millennials, um, it certainly isn't, you know, somebody my wife's age, but again, it's just, it's another label and it's another reason, like, again, why language does matter. Lumping all people in with, you know, this term of, oh, you're just a millennial is awful. Um, it's got such a negative connotation these days. I saw Gary Vanderchuk, who I've referenced before, talking about on his book tour, somebody asked him, you know, what's the thing that surprised you most when talking to people all over the country on support of your book tour? And he's like, you know how negative people are about young people? You know, they just shit on young people. And I see that as well. And, you know, Gary V and I, you know, we're on your side. Um, just don't complain to us about being offended, you know, or this... I don't know. I, I guess in that case, you know, I do say, you know, we've gone too far with, you know, political correctness. You know, an example I'll say is like the movement to have a, a new pronoun. And that I see is just, you know, flying in the face and of thousands of years of, you know, the way language has been constructed. Uh, and I just think that that's kind of another example of this going too far you know, that I see hinted at, but it was just horribly done on this infographic. Um, I kind of, in my view, you know, in following up with this person and asking the questions that I did to kind of get a better answer, which I got from this person and, and some of the re- replies on, on this thread, which is again, overly negative toward this infographic. And I completely understand why were so thoughtful that it's like, how do you group these people in as, you know, the thoughtless, lazy, entitled, quote-unquote, millennial population that are reading this sub? So I really try to seek first to understand and then to be understood. And, and that's an example of that. And that was covered in Stephen Covey's Seven Hamlets of Highly Effective People. That was a book that I had talked about in the first semester of this podcast. You can go back and check out the podcast. I'm sure it's still there. Uh, And that's one of his habits is seek first to understand. So I asked these questions and it really did kind of establish for me why I saw everybody react so negatively and sort of understand and empathize and, and get behind it. A lot of people, I think, have this tendency to be hold firm in their beliefs. You know, if I if I state something, I have to hold to it. And I'm more in the the mindset of, I reserve the right to change my mind. Um, you know, you might see it as a flip-flopper or, you know, in some way weak, but I see it as just, you know, becoming better and more well-informed as you learn something. 
uh, an example in my own life, I remember when the Edward Snowden, you know, NSA stuff broke and I initially was really, um, you know, against that, you know, I was like, Hmm, that seems like it's compromising our intelligence on a, you know, national level. And, you know, initially I was, you know, sort of on the side of the government for, you know, you know, the problems that this would cause. But then as I learned more and I, I've totally flipped on this issue and now I'm, you know, really do, uh, think Snowden deserves to be commended for exposing what the NSA has been doing in terms of surveillance. Um, you know, I'm fine with that. I know myself as a person and I know that my initial reaction was a uninformed one. And now that I've done, you know, the research and had time to consider it for myself, uh, now I know what I believe. So the last points I'll say is my questions when I asked that, uh, the person, uh, again, what I asked was what exactly he not, did he not agree with and asked him to clarify I actually got downvoted um, for this. So it just goes to show there are, I guess, people that do not, they're not in favor of, of seeking first to understand. Um, they were against me wanting to kind of have this person explain themselves, or maybe they inferred that I was, I don't know, the person behind the infograph. So that was interesting. And the other thing that I found sort of interesting as well is that when I went to look for this thread this morning, because it was extremely popular up through the day, I'd kind of been checking in on it, and I, again, made a few comments, I found it was gone and looked everywhere. And it turns out, I mean, from all what I could tell, it was modded. And for those of you that don't know that the culture modded sort of means a moderator, somebody that's in charge of that subreddit, uh, took it down. And I don't know why I I read through it. You could still see it because since I commented on it, I can see my comments and therefore have access to the thread. And I've included a link to the infographic itself, uh, the thread, and the why language matters info. So you can see that in the show notes for today. And it's just ironic to me that, you know, this would get quote unquote censored. I mean, that's what being modded is, is right. It sort of was censored for whatever reason. I don't see that it was providing links to blogs or spam. Uh, it wasn't asking about a specific textbook. Uh, un- it was not alarmist, unprofessional, deceptive. You know, it was these are all like the rules of what you can discuss on the subreddit. You know, it seemed to follow the rules. Nobody was like disrespecting one another. So I kind of found that ironic that it would get modded, especially given the, uh, the content and, you know, just kind of, you do see things like, um, person that, you know, loves it, you know, person stating, I'm in, I think this is a great infographic. You're going to respect their opinion. You know, you don't have to, upvote it but you downvoted totally and then the person follow another person follows up and downvoted for voicing your opinion ironic and uh, <laughs> i don't know what i expected was their reply so interesting thing check it out uh, and write to me like what are you seeing on your campuses are you seeing a, a movement to become overly politically correct and if so what are the examples you're seeing because I'm starting to doubt it. And now I'm just wondering if like the media is fucking with my head and all of our heads to sort of paint this, continue to paint this picture of millennials as like, 
you know, this, the model of what they want them to be, you know, lazy, entitled, you know, all living off their parents and no direction in their life, which again, I think is complete and utter bullshit. The millennial population in the, I use that term to describe age and not the characteristics that I inferred, but the young people that I talk to, I think I'm going to make it a, a a point from now on to never use the word millennial again <laughs> just come out of this because i just i really hate using it i won't when i say that I, I won't use it again on the podcast i'm sure i'll still use it in, in vernacular i'll have to lecture on it at some point but um i'm not going to use it on the podcast anymore because i do i am of the opinion i think it's sort of become a stigmatizing term not sort of it has become a stigmatizing term these days all right, so I, I ripped on that for a while. Um, so now I'm going to play a interview that I did last week that I was really excited to have happen. Um, I was really flattered because this person actually reached out to me and asked to come on the podcast. So that was a first for me. Really flattering and has a wealth of information. Really great energy. So I am pleased to bring on the esteemed Dr. Colby Jubinville to today's podcast. All right, welcome back. And here today I have Dr. Colby Jubinville. And Dr. Jubinville, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me and, and thanks for taking the time to let me have a little piece of the, the great platform that you've built. Thank you. Thank you very much. So this is uh, a unique feeling for me, I must say. I'm somewhat flattered because <laughs> you reached out to me and uh, wanted to come on the show. So why don't we start off by that? What made you want to come on the show today? Yeah, so, so but before I jump into that, let me, let me maybe, uh, give your audience just a little bit about me. Sure. And, and that will sort, sort of jump into and lead into uh, why I reached out to you. But uh, I am Colby Jubinville. And uh, I am the uh, I am the special assistant to the dean for student success and strategic partnerships. And so, for the last fifteen years at Middle Tennessee State University, and for the last fifteen years, um, I have spent my time one on one helping students really do two things in my classroom, which is first find their voice, and voice is the intersection of talent passion, conscience, and need in the world. And, and the second is to teach them how to protect and maintain their confidence. And, and Derek, what I believe over my body of work and my time spent with helping people uh, try to figure out where they are and where they want to go is that if you will help people do those two things, find their voice, the intersection of talent, passion, conscience, and need in the world, and teach them how to protect and maintain their confidence, they'll feel, they'll figure the rest of this stuff out. And so once I started to take that and package up that unique process, my background, by the way, is in athletic uh, coaching. In 1998, I started a football program from the ground up. No phones, no computers, no players, no uniforms, just a dream. And we ended up 21st in the nation. And I decided to retire from coaching college football because I came to this conclusion that either I was going to spend the rest of my life coaching other people's kids or I was going to coach my own. And it was very important to me that once I moved into that stage of life that I get to uh, coach my own. And so now I get to coach my own, but I also get to coach other people. And, um, and it's about those two simple ideas of voice and confidence. And so once I figured this out, I asked myself, how do we create a system 
that will allow others to become, and you referenced this earlier in our conversation before the show, to to become what I call self-directed lifelong learners. And so what prompted me and what motivated me to reach out to you is that, and I'll share some success with you, and one of the things that I believe is that private victories happen before public victories. And so there was a lot of work that led up to this announcement, but uh, in the fall semester of last year, I was able to secure a private gift of a million dollars, and I launched the student the, the Center for uh, Student Success at Middle Tennessee State University. And so um, one of the things that I want to do is to try to find those individuals, both nationally and internationally, that have that same kind of passion and vision to help students find their own success, to find their voice, to create that confidence, to live the life that they want to live. And you were the first podcast that I came out to, and me being me, I decided I'd just reach out to you and say, hey, I want to be on your show. So thank you for letting me be oh, on your show. No problem. Happy to have you on. Um, so that's a really impressive bio. So let me start with the coaching. Okay. Um, so you started out as a football coach and then wanted to coach your own students. And the, the center you said is the Center for Student Success and Coaching. Yes. Um, so that's a real theme I'm, I'm detecting there. Uh, what do you think it is about coaching just people in general, um, or if you want to talk more specifically about students, since that's the population that listen, um, what is it about coaching that you see that really helps people fulfill their potential and discover their unique value they bring? And how yeah. is this different from like teaching or mentoring? Yeah. yeah, you know, so so there's there's several different schools of thought about the role of coaching. And my background, as I said, is in athletic coaching. And if I look back on my life, if I look back at the people that had the greatest impact on me, the people that did that were coaches, specifically athletic coaches. And here's why. They really did three things for me. And this is what I try to do for other people. Number one, they made me have conversations I didn't want to have. Number two, they made me do things I didn't think I could do. That ultimately led me to the third thing, which is to become something I didn't think that I could become. And so when I have that crucial conversation, see, see, Derek, here is the biggest challenge that we have in higher education today. I call it the big lie. And the big lie is that if you go to college, you're going to get a job. And everything's going to be okay. Hmm. And both yeah. you know and I know that that's not true. So we have this unbelievable opportunity. They come to us at Rutgers, at Middle Tennessee State University. They come to the to us, and Derek, here's what they here's what they're saying, and they don't know how to say it because their entire life, here's what's happened. They've been patted on their back their entire life, and they've said, "Oh, Billy, you can be anything you want to be," all the way up till eighteen, and then the mom and dad says. Hey, Billy, we don't care what you do. Just get out of the house. So they go running as fast as they can to find some kind of formal or informal education. And here's what they say. Let me get through this and I'll figure it out. And I know that's to be true because for the last 15 years, I've seen it firsthand in the front lines of teaching in both at the undergraduate and graduate level. And so what I try to do is get them to first acknowledge that they have to become very intentional about the future that they want to create. And then from there, take the steps. And one of those steps, let me ask you this question. And let's, let's see what your response is. 
where is it that you learn the most in the learning process, in the learning process, even not in learning? Let's just answer this, this, this big question that everybody needs to understand. Where do we learn the most? Where do you think it is? All now, I, now I've hijacked your show. <laughs> that's okay. Watching, watching and observing. Um, okay. you know, that's okay. where I learn a lot. Um, All right. I'll push back on you and say, mm-hmm. and here's what, here's what I know. Here's what I believe based on my experience as a coach and a teacher. And you asked me specifically about the difference between coaching and teaching. I'm going to talk about that. But here's what I teach people. Feedback is where you learn the most. Feedback is where you learn the most. And what happens most of the time is that we may have a teacher or coach in high school that's willing to give us that feedback because it's part of the system. But then we get into college or then we get into our 30s. And we no longer get that feedback or our 40s. We never get that feedback. And so what I teach the people that I work with is that highly successful, highly influential, highly motivated people starve, crave for feedback. Feedback is where we learn the most. And so I will ask them, I will say to them, can you handle me giving you some very honest feedback? And that comes straight from what I believe the role of a coach is. Now, I've been through several different coaching programs, including uh, coaching in the moment. I, I made the investment. I went through the process. I took a lot of, away a lot of great information. But for me, if you ask me what coaching and the value of coaching is and what great coaches can do for you and that we have an, a huge opportunity and obligation, I believe, is to have those conversations, to challenge them to do to become something they didn't think they could become. That's what great coaches did for me. And so it's so funny you say that because five or six episodes ago, I had a similar thing that I had been thinking about and I really pondered a lot before uh, talking about on the, you know, on the podcast, this idea of, of kind of this being sold this big lie about, you know, if you go to college and, and do okay and get your degree, that there'll be this magical job waiting for you in the end. So I can really relate to seeing a lot of the same and then as and kind of falling for it myself is what I said in the in the episode is like that was sold to me and uh, I managed okay but it's a lot harder in in today's day and age for uh, you know in this economy for students to find their way with just a college degree these days well and and, you know I think everybody sold that and that's okay and and, you know you said you may you may have had some reservations about saying that and I and I can understand that but, but here's the reality Here's the reality. These kids are starved, Derek, for somebody to show them the way. And they're going to make a decision in the first two minutes if you've got the juice or you don't to help them get what they want. And so what, what I teach people, instead of asking them, what are you going to major in? Here's what you ask them. What has to happen 18 months from now for you to feel good about having a relationship with me? You answer that question and you come back and you talk to me. Let's let's talk about, you know, it's the futuristic question. Let's get that on the table so that we can really start to get intentional about the future that you want to make. And I said, no, I want to be really clear with you. You've made a bet that I am so damn good that you've taken your time, your money, your energy and your resources And you're betting that MTSU can help you create a competitive advantage in the marketplace. And I can, but you have to buy in to what I'm teaching. And you have to be able to take that feedback because that's where we learn the most. Yeah, I can relate. 
And something else you, you had said a little earlier that I wanted to ask you about, this idea of, you know, sort of when you get out of college or, you know, become a little older that you lose that, that feedback loop, you know, that yeah. you, you no longer have people in your life that occur naturally that can uh, do that. They may not be in a position or it's kind of what you said, they may not be brave enough to be yeah. straight with you. And I think that I think that what ends up trying to take the place and is successful for a lot of people in, in lieu of that is, is this idea of mentorship. You know, if people can find a mentor, that I think kind of serves, I don't know, adults or older people a little bit better. So I wondered if you had any thoughts on, on mentorship and um, you know, the value it brings. Yeah. Well, it's, it's tremendous value. And, and I, I don't get into semantics and talking about the difference between mentorship and coaching. I mean, at the end of the day, it's about relationship. It's about empathy. Empathy means to me, I know you because I know me and good things happen to known people. And so I think that that's sort of where that conversation begins. But here's what it typically looks like in America. In our 20s, we're taught you got to get in the game. In our 30s, we're taught you got to move up in the game. In our 40s, we're taught you got to stay in the game because those 30-year-olds are so damn good. In our 50s, we finally say, what is it that I really want? And in our 60s, we say we got to get that and we got to do that. And so if you look at that framework and you, be, you become intentional about what you want to create and you think in a futuristic way, then it begs the question, what do you really want? And if we can help you figure that out in the 20s, in your 20s, how powerful would it be in 10 years from now for you to live the life you want to live and become the person that you're supposed to become? That's what they're making a bet with themselves and the university when they come on our campus every day. And I take that bet seriously. I take that obligation seriously. Um, I call it getting in the boat with the, these kids, you know, that they want to know that somebody will get in the boat with them. And I'm very vulnerable about my own experiences and about the own struggles and failures that I've had, you know, and, and your podcast is couched as the college student success podcast. And what you see, you know, I loved your, your subtitle here, a podcast for college students with mental health issues, such as anxiety, depression, and anyone else who wants to set goals and achieve them. And I thought to myself, well, I'm all three, you know, <laughs> I've had anxiety, I've had depression, I've had uh, times in my life where I've set goals and achieved them. But to me, there's so many great definitions of success. And I want to, I want your audience to hear this. I want your audience to hear this. There's so many great definitions. You know, one might be, hey, you pick yourself up off the ground one more time. Another one might be the continued expansion of happiness. Another one might be the setting and achieving of worthy goals, which is what you have here. But but to me, the best definition of success, and it's, it's going to be the foundation of the success center that I run at MTSU, is Thoreau's definition of success. And what Thoreau said is that if you advance confidently in the direction of your own dream, that success is advancing confidently in the direction of your own dream, to endeavor to live a life that only you can leave, live, that you will find uncommon success in common hour. So what do we need to teach kids today? What do we need to teach adults today to advance confidently in the direction of their own dream? The very first thing we have to do is unpack what confidence is. Confidence comes straight from voice the intersection of talent, passion, conscience, and need in the world. When I go out and try to talk to people about 
what confidence is, one of the things that they will say is, well, it's about belief. And so I'll put you on the spot and I'll ask you, hey, well, tell me the things that you believe. And it can't be about family, uh, relationships, God, America. Now tell me past, past that, what do you believe? People can't tell you. And so if you cannot articulate what you believe, then how in the world can you develop, protect, and maintain your confidence? The best definition I've ever heard of confidence is confidence comes from a sports psychologist. Confidence is the memory of success. What we need to teach these kids to do, what I teach my clients to do early on, is to constantly borrow from other people and then start to remember their own success as they create it for themselves. Yeah, I think we're uh, trying to do the same thing, brother. Um, I, I can, I, I feel like I'm doing, trying to do such the same thing with kind of teaching people that are in college that what, to kind of figure out what matters early on. And, and I can relate to your kind of the timeline you gave. And, um, you know, I've shared on the podcast before that, like, I, I'm in uh, recovering alcoholic and I sort of like, when I think back, I sort of lost my 20s. I would just kind of like gave them away to booze. And, <laughs> you know, just I didn't get anything done. You know, I did, I did some things. I went back to school and I got my master's, thankfully. I was like had my shit together to do something like that. But, um, you know, I turned 30 and that happened to coincide with when I got, when I got sober. And the last eight years, I'm third, 37, I'll be 38 in a couple of months, have just been like, I'm just like, man, I wish I could have done all this shit in my 20s because in my 30s, I'd be set up by now. But, you know, I still got there sooner than a lot of people do. And, um, you know, I, I definitely want to try and bring that to people as well. And that's kind of why I've talked about this semester, things like building your brand and, and kind of thinking about things like entrepreneurship beyond yeah. just being a student. So I was going to ask you about that if you had a sec. Is... Well, well, let's 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 unpack t three of those things real quickly. And sure. I, I'll share this with your audience. And hopefully you've seen it or maybe you haven't and can share it with the audience. Have you ever seen the video, the TED Talk that Meg Jay does about being in your 20s, Meg Jay? No, I haven't. Oh, dude. So when we get done, go back and search Meg Jay, why 30 is not the new 20. And it will it will help you truly. And I think any 20 year old that you sit down and work with, have them watch this. She specializes in 20 somethings. And one of the things that she says that amazes her about our country and about um, about how development of people has unfolded in terms of education is there is all this information in the world written about child development but there's so little that's written about 20-year-old development. And so, so what is that 20-year-old development? Well, that 20-year-old development to me is this thing called emotional intelligence. That 20-year-old development is this thing called personal branding. The 20-year-old the, 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 the development for me is critical thinking, problem-solving, decision-making. So the, the bedrock of what I'm focused on are those things. Problem solving, decision making, personal branding, emotional intelligence, persuasion, career development. So here's the other piece that need, we need to be very clear about. And I say this to kids. I'm very pointed. Some people cannot handle the approach that I take, and I'm cool with that. And I'll pull them aside and go, hey, look, we'll sit here and swim along with you till you get comfortable with how this is going to unfold. But we will drive you to action. And you don't drive action. You don't create change by thinking. You create change by doing. Traditionally, 
and I listened to one of your podcasts, traditionally we're taught in the the academic setting that change happens in these three states, think, feel, do. And if you look at any meaningful change that's ever happened within people and organizations, here's what really happens. It's incrementally do that changes the way they feel about what they're doing, that changes the way they think about what they can do. And that's the approach that I take with kids. That's what creates the change. And I forget the question that you asked me, but it led me to that. To, <laughs> That's to that. all right. <laughs> well, I think that I could kind of steer it back because I can relate to that. In like when I started this podcast, you know, I had so little experience in all of this, right? I didn't know how to record a podcast. I didn't know how to start a website. And I had to kind of figure these things out. And it was, you know, it, it instilled once I figured one thing out, I was like, oh, you know, and then you have a barrier that, you know, you run up to for a week and then. You know, you get over and it's like, oh my God, not only is it like, can I move forward, but I feel effing good now about myself for having figured that out. And now what else can I figure out? You know, it really does kind of, you know, this multiplier effect. Um, So what I was getting to was going to be kind of asking about your feelings on entrepreneurship for college students and just like in general, how you feel about like why it's, I'm assuming you're on the same page with me. It's like, it's just not enough to just go through and take your classes and get your A's or hopefully you get your A's. You got to be doing hopefully some other stuff to be exploring and, and sort of start at that point with, you know, your interests beyond oh, there's, just There's no doubt. And so, so you could define entrepreneurship in multiple ways. Uh, I, I define it simply as taking lower level resources to higher levels of opportunity. Companies want to know two organizations want to know two things today. They want to know two things. And if you go to a job interview, you better be able to answer these two things. Can you make me money or can you save me money? And that's the way that you have to be thinking. And so when you walk into that organization, when you walk into that company, you better be able to articulate to them how you can solve a problem, sell something, create something or add immediate value to them. And, and so that's what is all that about? That's that's recognizing what matters most to those companies and being able to deliver it. An entrepreneur is somebody that says, I can take these lower levels of resources and I can create these new levels of production. And, and if you look at it across any industry spectrum, uh, you'll see that that's the case. How does that translate into the college student today? It starts with mindset. Entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs understand the highest value of their time. Entrepreneurs plan their weeks. They don't let their weeks plan them. It's entrepreneur. The the whole piece of that is about first is this entrepreneurial mindset, how you plan your weeks, understanding the highest value of your time, knowing what matters most to your audience, and then being able to deliver it. So I think it does fit. But I think it's, you know, we get so tied into, well, well, entrepreneurship is this um, is is this contest where you have to create a, a company in, in, you know, 20 days. No, for college students, the universal appeal is to develop the entrepreneurial mindset. And it starts with those very basic things. Absolutely. And it, it certainly can be developed. I mean, I did not feel like I had it. And it's only even in the last two years that I've sort of really kind of started to look and develop toward that mindset that you described. 
And so let me get back to your uh, the center that you were talking about in the beginning when you uh, kind of introduced yourself. So mm-hmm. I kind of want to know a little nuts and bolts here. Like, let's say I'm a student at Middle Tennessee, yeah, and I happen to find your Center for Student Success and College and Student for Center Success. I'm sorry, Woo. Center for Student Success and Coaching, and I find. Yep the building where you guys are in and I walk in and I'm like, this is interesting to me. Like what, what happens to students that get interested into, uh, going to your center? Well, you know, it, it's, there, there's an entire process, uh, that we take them through and, um, and that process is built in modules. And so the modules, um, speak to the foundation of, um, of the center and and so let me let me walk you through what those modules look like. Would this be like one on one or uh, in a group setting? Well, you know, I, I really think that that true change happens one on one. People are going to fight me on that and say, "Hey, we need you to scale this up." But uh, but the real change that I've seen in the students that, that I've helped, um, it, it's it starts with that very vulnerable, empathetic relationship, and so. What I believe is this, there's a missing structure in higher education. And the missing structure is that the students really come there to become gainfully employed. There's a difference between employment and gainful employment. Employment is trading time for money. Gainful employment is where work becomes a distribution channel for what you love. For somebody to become gainfully employed to get some kind of psychological benefit from the work that they're doing, the very first thing they have to understand is their voice, the intersection of talent, passion, conscience, and need in the world. So that, that's, that's one module that we use. But the buckets that we have built for the center include academic skills, which is the knowledge of adoption and retention and critical thinking. Mm-hmm. And I use a self-directed, self-selected coaching model that I've built. Um, that focuses on problem solving and decision making persuasion. That's another big bucket that has modules, emotional intelligence. That's another big bucket that has modules, personal branding. It's another bucket that has modules. And then, and then a relationship with the career development center on campus. We've got one of the best ones in the country, but we get really intentional about what the student is going to do and the process that they're going to go through. Now I will tell you this, Derek, we are at the infancy of building these things. So I may have one piece completely built out, let's say for the, uh, the personal branding. I wrote a book that's completely done. That's called me, how to sell who you are, what you do and why you matter to the world. So from, from soup to nuts, we've got that complete. The others, those other big buckets that I've talked about are all works in progress because we, we just got, I just secured the gift in November and we are in the process it's it's March and we're in the process of building these modules out but where it would start first to me where it starts first is them understanding those big pieces of academic skills and critical thinking emotional intelligence personal branding persuasion and career development that's how you develop a 20 year old that's actually how you develop anybody any, anybody to be honest with you and then, and then the first module looks like this The first worksheet says over a lifetime, and here's what it says. 
you'll spend, the average person will spend 23 years of their life sleeping, nine and a half years in their car, six years eating, five to 15 years in spiritual religious activity, 15 to 25 years in education, 35 to 50 years working. Reflect over the last year and write down how you spent your time and what you want to spend the next 35 to 50 years doing. And that's where you get them to get the, to have this realization between the difference between employment and gainful employment and the difference between vocation and occupation. Occupation is something that occupies your time and voice is that intersection of talent, passion, conscience and need in the world. So that's the first worksheet in the module that focuses on these core ideas. The next worksheet looks at confidence and success. And I've defined both those for you in, in, in the earlier um, pieces of the show mm-hmm. where we talk about this is what confidence is. This is what success is. So we're teaching them the building blocks. The next, the next piece of the module says this. If we're sitting here one year from today, looking over that one year, what has to happen during that period of time? For you to feel good about the progress that you've made. These are very intentional, futuristic questions. So the first, the first module itself works on, on getting them to see uh, what their future can look like and getting them to acknowledge that there is a missing structure. And these are the things that they have to find outside of the classroom to get to where they want to go. Because at the end of the day, here's the best illustration that I can make. And then I'll shut up and you can, you can ask me another question or set or give some mm-hmm. feedback. Um, I'll walk, I'll walk into a uh, auditorium of a thousand people and I'll say, now watch this. How many of you plan to graduate from college and everyone with a college degree, every one of them will raise their hand. And so I say in the business, we call that a commodity. It's an undifferentiated good or service. If you want to go out and compete in the marketplace and compete in the marketplace of ideas, then you better be armed with the ability to do that. I'm going to teach you how to compete on unique value and not a commodity. So when you go to that interview, don't you dare say, when they say, why should I hire you? Don't you dare say, because I have a college degree. <laughs> and that's what they would say. Yeah. All right. All right. I can, so many ways I can go there. Here's where I will go. I'll talk about one of my core tenants that I probably overlaps with yours and see, I want to kind of see how it fits into your kind of overall picture here. So goal setting is, is the big deal here on this podcast. Um, and really kind of arming people after they kind of set a goal and kind of give themselves a direction to head in because you got to start somewhere, right? Um, We then kind of talk about the strategies involved in kind of keeping that goal at the forefront of your mind so it doesn't kind of get glossed over by all the day-to-day bullshit that you just have to attend to. How do you keep it at the forefront of your mind? And then how do you kind of like work a little more efficiently so you can get things done Uh, geared toward that goal, but still also, you know, keep the rest of your life in order too. So a question is, um, what are, what is it about goals that is so important to you in your line of work? And and where do you see it fitting into kind of the the center and and all the other things that you're, you're about? Well, I wrote a, I wrote a book that was published by Wiley in 2013 called Zebras and Cheetahs. And the subtitle is uh, how to look different and stay agile or survive the business jungle. 
And one of the chapters in the book is a growth model. And one of the things that we say in the book is that goals are some of the most overused and underdone words in America. What we do is we go in and we set goals. And if we don't achieve them, we lower the goals. And so what I teach people how to build is something that I call a dominant focus. It's this one tangible outcome. It's the one thing that you want to accomplish over a certain amount of time. Traditionally, we'll pick a year. Then we'll take that year and we'll back it out into quarters. We'll take that board. We'll take that quarters and back it out into 30-day windows, and then those 30-day windows become the the, the key check-in points every 30 days to look at the success that we're having. And one of the concepts that I teach is you, you don't I, – I will tell you and, you, and you probably can see it in my personality, but um, I stay frustrated a lot because success doesn't happen fast enough for me. Um, and I think people like myself that are that are geared to to want to have an impact on other people and see where they can take this, take what they believe and, and continue to grow it, continue to stay frustrated. But there's there's a simple idea that says stop measuring perfection and start measuring progress. Progress becomes a natural motivator. So I don't set goals. I have a dominant focus. The dominant focus for me is to coach and teach on an ever increasing stage. So why am I here today, really? Because it's part of my dominant focus. I asked my GA to reach out to you, along with several other podcasts on student success, so that I could learn from you, you could learn from me, and that we could continue to have this dialogue and discourse about the missing structure in higher education, which is that idea of how do we move people to get gainfully employed, to get some kind of psychological benefit? How do we teach them to not just not just the good ones, but everybody that's paying the money and making the bet, how do we teach them to compete on unique value versus commodity? So it's dominant focus, tangible outcome, uh, break it into quarters, quarters into months, months or 30-day windows, you measure progress, not perfection. Yeah. Progress is a natural motivator. Cool, man. I like that. Very different, but a lot of the same tenets. I definitely can, um, the part that I kind of latch on to that really overlaps with me is is this idea of sort of breaking it down. Like, you know, you could have this kind of two-year out goal, but you really need to know what you're doing next week towards that goal, you know? And it's yeah. hard to, if you have this big concept, it's hard until you actually sit down and I tell people with pen and paper and like break it down, you know, what are the small tasks? What can you get done over the next month? That's why I stress for the podcast is, you know, set a goal that's going to last about the length of the semester. And that's kind of, we work in, in three month increments as well. Um, and every five weeks or so I've, we've been doing like a little check-in where we kind of look up, kind of see, are we on the right direction? You know, is there anything else yeah. we need? And so cool. Well, a lot of overlap. Yeah, that, your point leads me to, to a point that I, that I probably didn't focus on as much as I should. It, and it's this is, even today when I work with adults and I coach some, I coach some of the top CEOs in, in middle Tennessee. And one of the questions that I ask is, you know, tell me the highest value of your time. And, and that's a really good question to ask anyone because they usually can't tell you. And if you don't know what the highest value of your time is, and that's activities, high value activities, it's not what you want to get paid. That's a whole different conversation. These are high value activities. The highest value of your time is directly tied to your dominant focus. So then the next question becomes, can you do three things a day, five a week, 
60 a month towards the dominant focus in your life. Once they answer that question for me, then we decide what those high value activities they are. Then we get very clear about three a day, five a week, 60 a month. You can't not find the success that you want if you do that and get that intentional. Yep, for sure. Um, all right, this has been amazing. So I really want to thank you for coming on the show. And I have one more question for you, Colby, before we, uh, before I kind of ask you to just uh, tell a little yeah. bit about how the uh, listeners can learn more about you. And that's just some, some advice. If you can boil down everything you said today into kind of one piece of advice, what advice would you have for college students out there that might be going through some kind of mental health issues and having a hard time following through on, maybe I won't say their goals in this case, I'll say their, what did you say? Uh, the dominant focus? Dominant, yeah, following through on their dominant focus at this point in their life. Yeah. Um, you know, the way I've been successful in helping students, any kind of student, find their success is by building very uh, vulnerable, empathetic relationships. And so once you become vulnerable, see, well, here's what Brene, do you know who Brene Brown is? I know the name. I just can't place him. Okay. So, so she's the foremost expert in, in the country, in the world probably, on, um, on addiction and shame. And so one of the things that she, among many other things, you need to go, I'll send you some links on some of her videos, but it's, it's truly, it truly allows you to try to understand where people are. At the end of the day, what, what we have a responsibility to do is to help develop these people. And one of the things that I know is that if you if you give the student what they want, they will trust you to give them what they need. And so I try to find out first, what is it that they really want from me? So that they will trust me later when I say, this is what you, you got to do this to win, to win in the marketplace. And, and the other piece is it goes back to that idea that Chip Dodd talks about, about people, about being known. And so I really stress this, this idea of, of what it means to be known. And what he says in, uh, in his book, uh, Lead Well, Chip Dodd says this, and, and I'll never forget it. He says, people who are known, guide, attract, teach, notify, exhort, educate, encourage, and need well. They give in their vulnerability and their competence. They have a passion to move towards a vision of life. See, here's here's the bottom line. We all reach this ceiling of complexity. We all reach this. They, they call it in 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 the working world. They call it the Peter Principle, right? We all rise to our highest level of incompetence. That happens to everyone. What does it require to break through that? Well, the old saying is that sometimes a breakdown is what's required to have a breakthrough or a break with. And so what I try to do is, is get into a relationship with these kids where it's so empathetic, where it's so vulnerable that they will open up to me and say, this is what I really want. Because if I know that, then every decision that we make is based on based on that. Every decision that we make is based on that. And it's, it's the philosophy that, that Joe Calloway uh, developed called be the best of what matters most. And I tell kids that. 
once you tell me what matters most to you, I'm going to do every every decision I, I make is about being the best at that. Yeah, makes sense. It, it kind of goes in line with something I teach uh, some of my students in the intro to psychiatric rehabilitation course that I teach, which is is brand new. You know, kids that have don't know anything, barely even know what psychiatry is, and you know, they're all worried about you know how to do this and how to diagnose and you know, the one thing I keep telling them is like, just get to know the people. That's it. Get to know them, get to know what they want, get, you know, develop a partnership, empower them to be the person they, that they want to be. And they'll tell you what they really want. And that's when you have to be listening. So. That's right. That's when you have to be listening. You know, my, I'll, I'll end with this before we, we move into the final thought here. But uh, I, my mother, who has a PhD in psychology and, and is the reason that I certainly uh, and the educator that I am uh, today. I come from two educators that taught me that the way you take on the world is to marry an educator and educate other people. And so uh, she texted me about um, six months ago and she said, I haven't heard from you in a while. Uh, you doing okay? And I wrote back and I said, I've never had more success and I've never been more miserable. And you know, those three dots come up. And, you know, if you have an iPhone and the dots started, you know, to move back and forth and she wrote back and she said, I've been trying to tell you for a long time that you're enough. And until you tell yourself that you're enough, you're going to always feel this way. And so with your group that's struggling with anxiety, with depression, there's this phenomenon in life that's happened. And we've actually fallen into that trap here in this discussion where an average life now has been has become synonymous with a meaningless life. And, and Brene Brown said that, and it made me stop and think, I got to be really careful about really listening to what somebody else wants and not to push my, I'm going to prove it to the world, my excessive individualism. I'm going to win no matter what the cost, because, you know, there's that saying, and it says, you know, it, it, it just may kill you. You can you can help a thousand, but you can't carry two or three on your back. And it's so true. So the, the parting thought for me would be if you do feel that anxiety, if you do feel that depression, part of this is to balance it with saying I'm enough for right now and, and to be content with that, because that, that's a hard battle for all of us. Can you tell, especially me, that I'm a middle child? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well said. Well said. Well, thank you so much, Colby. I really appreciate you having on the sh- having you on the show. Where can listeners uh, learn more about you? Yeah, so my, it's easy. Um, probably the fastest and easiest place is at Dr. Jubenville, Dr. Jubenville. That's on uh, that's on uh, Twitter, and then I've got a website. My website is uh, drjubenville.com. D r j u b e n v i l l e dot com, and so. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I care. Uh, I care about seeing seeing students figure it out. That's the cool. People ask me all people ask me all the time, Derek. They say, "Why you've got all these this books and you, you work with companies? You know, why do you stay in the public sector?" And the answer is really simple. Um, I've seen a lot of people make a lot of money. I've seen a lot of people spend a lot of money. Hell, I've helped them make a lot of money. But there is no greater feeling in the world than when somebody looks at you. It says, because of the investment that you made in me, that my life is just a little bit better. And once that happens to you, uh, it becomes something that, um, 
that you become addicted to. It becomes something that becomes part of your DNA. And I love those phone calls. I love those emails. Those are, that's the coolest part of what I get to do every day. Yeah, definitely. I look forward to many more of those emails coming in the future. That's right. I definitely want people to, you know, talk to me out there, people. Send me emails. And right. uh, so, hey, done the hardest part getting the platform built, and and uh, I I salute you for uh, for doing that, and and I'm going to you've inspired me to uh, I'm going to launch my own podcast here in about two weeks, so I'm in. All right, man. Well, send me an email, and uh, I'll certainly promote it here for sure. Okay. All right. Take care, man. Thank you very much. Yes, sir. Take care. And we're back. And I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you got some value out of some of the stuff Colby and I talked about. It was really great having him on the show and uh, a lot to kind of digest there. So if you can or if you want, go back and listen to it again or slower speed or you know faster speed if you just want to hit on a certain point. Um, totally a great way to you know really absorb something, especially in the audio form that a podcast delivers. So... Look forward to hearing your podcast, Colby. Let me know when it happens. Drop me a line. Anyway, so as we wrap up today, I have a home exercise for you this week. And this one I I really hope you guys try and do. And it it relates to some of the stuff that that interview touched upon. This idea of uh, coaching and mentorship and asking for help. And how, as we get older, we lose this, uh, we lose the ability, I think, to get as much feedback as we kind of need in order to succeed. So for this week, ask someone for help or advice about your goal. And it has to be somebody that knows more than you, you know, so, you know, it just can't be your friend that doesn't know anything more about your goal than you do. Like try and reach out to somebody like an expert or somebody that's, you know, you see as being really wise and just ask them, you know, what do you think about this? You know, some aspect of their goal or, and, uh, see if you can get their opinion or some specific feedback on, on a way to improve or an approach or a strategy you can use because you never know where that's going to lead. You know, you, you probably will lead nowhere, right? But it could lead somewhere, right? This is what the whole, you know, building your brand is about you know it's only because of this podcast that i was able to meet dr colvin jubinville and what if he had needed an assistant executive director for his center and heard my podcast and thought this guy's going to be fucking great reached out to me and it created this amazing opportunity you know these are the types of things that happen when you you know put yourself out there when you make yourself available and you take advantage of opportunities that people, you know, present to you. Another one I can think of is, uh, when I was in, uh, working in community mental health and, you know, I was burnt out, you know, and I had this opportunity to teach supported education and it would have been more hours, you know, a little bit more money, but it was beyond my job. And I was like, I'm not doing this. And I actually had my boss, Michelle, who we heard from last week, call me up or send me an email, but I think she called me up. I was like, listen, you need to do this. And she was smarter than me. And I knew that. And I was like, all right. And it turned into, you know, my foot in the door to get into UMDNJ, which eventually became Rutgers. So, 
you know, you never know, you know, where these opportunities are going to lead, but you'll never have the opportunities if you don't reach out and grab them. So it should be easy to come up with something related to your goal, right? Because your goal is something you're passionate about. So it could be somebody that you're close to that's just, you know, an expert and you're looking for, you know, some feedback on your progress so far. But a, a way to kind of push yourself beyond that limit would be to reach out to somebody, you know, that's like sort of a leader in the field of something you're passionate about, you know, if, if you have something like that tied into your goal. Um, but, you know, kind of go beyond your comfort zone a little bit to get some outside feedback on some strategies or some um, just different opinions or perspectives on where you're at with your goal and, and how to get forward and move forward and get there faster. So uh, really excited about the podcast the last three weeks. Uh, I really, you know, feel like it's been building, you know, especially this second semester to something um, really exciting. So I hope that you guys feel the same way. Reach out to me if you have any feedback about today's show. I'd love to hear it. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's it. So have a great week, everyone. Take care. Peace.